You went to North Korea? You? How did you get in there? North Korea is the second most surprising place I've been to after Harvard. You went to Harvard? You? How did you get in there? In fact, Harvard and North Korea are pretty similar institutions. Scary places run by evil men completely cut off from the real world. In fact, Harvard is the reason I visited North Korea. I woke up one morning to see an email from Harvard Alumni Travel Experience. That's H-A-T-E or HATE. It was an invitation to join a three-day trip to North Korea. I did not want to go, but I knew my wife would, so I deleted the email before she saw it. But when Denise woke up, she got the same email from Harvard Travel. Yes, my wife studied there too. In fact, there are only two things I took away from Harvard that I treasure to this day. My wife and a pile of library books. They're both stacked in the bedroom. Who are you people? Denise, of course, was excited to visit North Korea. This was during the reign of Kim Jong-il, the chubby, crazy dictator with the bad haircut. He was the father of the current ruler, Kim Jong-un, a chubbier, crazier man with an even worse haircut. Though the North Korean nuclear program continues to sputter, they lead the world in terrible hairdos. As I mentioned in our very first podcast, there was extra danger in me visiting North Korea. Their ruler, Kim Jong-il, loved show business. He wrote treatises on cinema and owned 20,000 movies on DVD. If he weren't a ruthless dictator, he'd have made a great blockbuster video manager. But Kim had the unfortunate habit of kidnapping visiting actors, directors, and writers and forcing them to make films for his regime. On the other hand, as a 60-year-old TV writer, abduction was my best shot at a career. Still, I urged Denise not to book the trip, and still, she booked it. A few weeks later, we got a call from the North Korean embassy. They examined my credits and determined I was no threat to their government. Anyone who'd worked for Fox as long as I had knew how to respect an evil empire. They asked only that I never speak publicly about the trip. <laughs> well, I'm doing it now, folks. If Kim Jong-un subscribes to this podcast, I am screwed. North Korea does not usually let Americans in. But for three weeks a year, they stage a spectacle so spectacular they have to share it with the world. It's called the Mass Games, and it's like the Olympics opening ceremony without any Olympics behind it. You see, North Korea doesn't believe in the Olympics. As a communist country, they think we're all equal and competition is a bad thing. But that doesn't mean they can't be fabulous. The government built a three-day package around the Mass Games. Whether you're a tourist, a journalist, or Dennis Rodman, you all get the same trip. And you all stay in the same hotel. It's a dreary high-rise in North Korea's capital city of Pyongyang. The hotel has a notable feature. A moat. I'm not kidding. The hotel is situated on a man-made island in the middle of downtown, so you can't go anywhere. We were part of a group of 14 hardy travelers and we had seven government minders watching us all day long. No one in the group knew each other. We were random strangers united by a love of truly stupid vacations. One man in our group was the, the most, most traveled, traveled man, man on, on earth. earth. You might think that title would go to some famous explorer or a career diplomat. 
but no, it was just a chubby schlub in a Star Wars t-shirt. He might have been a math teacher in Queens, but he was the man who'd been everywhere. My wife could not resist grilling him. Have you been to Libya? Yes. Afghanistan? Yes. Siberia? Ten times. Ten times? Every time you go, you see something different. Have you been to Cameroon? We could play this game all day. I've been everywhere. Depending on how you look at it, Pyongyang is either a world-class city or the most depressing place on earth. It's crisscrossed by stately boulevards ten lanes wide, but the streets are empty because no one can afford a car. Our tour bus driver liked to pinball down the highway, zigzagging across five lanes from one side to the other. Why? Because he could. Who needs roads anyway? Pyongyang has a subway system where the stations look like French chateaux filled with fine art, murals, and chandeliers. It's built on the Stalinist philosophy that trains should have better homes than the people do. The city has an impressive skyline of high-rises, but at night they go pitch black. No electricity. Towering over the city was a 105-story hotel that loomed half-finished for 19 years. It made it into the Guinness Book as the tallest unoccupied building in the world. It was intended as a symbol of the city, and in a way, it kind of is. It would be easy to say everything's horrible there, but it's not quite true. The people are all skinny, and they're shabbily dressed, and they are completely oppressed. But their life expectancy is about the same as ours, and their health care is probably better. Pyongyang has impossibly beautiful public parks filled with picnicking families. I got pulled into an impromptu folk dance by some old ladies who were dressed in vibrant floral robes and drunk off their asses. But the big attraction of the city is its monuments. The 100-foot-tall Arch of Reunification. Giant bronze sculptures of Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung. There's the monument to party founding 10 stories tall. It's a sculpture of three giant fists, clutching a hammer, a paintbrush, and what looks like a back scratcher. And they built an Arc de Triomphe based on the one in Paris, but just a little bit bigger. There are giant statues everywhere you turn. Imagine all the monuments in Washington, D.C. jammed into downtown Bethesda. However, you have to drive 20 minutes outside of Pyongyang to see their greatest memorial, the grave of the nation's founder, Kim Il-sung. It's the largest tomb of any communist leader, so suck it, Mao Zedong. The mausoleum is called Kumsusan Palace, and it has corridors over a kilometer long. I'd say it looks like an airport, but the tomb is actually much larger than North Korea's main airport in Pyongyang. When I googled to confirm this, the number one question that popped up was, I swear, does Pyongyang Airport have a TGI Fridays? The answer is no! The mausoleum sits atop a gorgeously landscaped hill and is equal parts memorial and theme park ride. You stand on a conveyor belt and roll through rooms filled with portraits and statues of the dear leader. My favorite was the Hall of Lamentations, where loudspeakers blast people's memories of Kim Il-sung over a soundtrack of loud wailing. One speaker recalls, When our supreme leader died, people cried non-stop for 18 days. Our streets were flooded in tears up to our waistlines. It's not subtle, but it works. North Korean visitors around me were sobbing. Next, the conveyor belt carries you through an air blaster that blows dirt off of you. It's basically a car wash for human grief. 
And finally, you get to see the man himself. Kim Il-sung lies in a giant coffin. Guards instruct you to bow three times out of respect and then exit through the gift shop. The whole experience takes 45 minutes. That's the equivalent of five haunted mansion rides followed by four Pirates of the Caribbean. What can I say? Kim Jong-il put together a pretty snappy tour. Riverboat rides, paper lantern festivals, and a visit to the DMZ. Every meal was a banquet and one featured dog soup. I didn't have the heart to eat it, but another tourist did. He said, It has bite. Oh, you guys are back. It was finally time for the main event, the festival that had brought us to North Korea, the Mass Games. I'd expected some sort of socialist parade. Soldiers marching, giant missiles rolling by on flatbed trucks, women in welding suits riding tractors. Instead, it was pure Vegas. 80,000 gymnasts in spangly outfits doing dance routines to disco music. There were fireworks and thousands of synchronized hula hoopers. In case this wasn't impressive enough, 30,000 children sat in the stands opposite us. They put on a card show, flipping large placards to form giant pictures of their country, its monuments, and its leaders. The card show never stopped and not one kid ever messed up. There were a dozen costume changes all seamlessly choreographed. 10,000 dancers in mermaid costumes would slip off the field as 10,000 more came on dressed in sailor suits. The show lasted 90 minutes to the second, and it was truly the greatest spectacle I've ever seen. When I left the stadium, I learned something that made it even more impressive. Although the spectators had a roof over their heads, the performers on field did not. They had just performed that flawless extravaganza for us in a pounding rainstorm. Still, I saw something even more remarkable on my last day in North Korea. We stopped to see an indoor circus at a local theater. It was a depressing array of acts. This was Cirque du Socialism, performed in a dingy living room set right out of Death of a Salesman. But the final performer was an actual grizzly bear who walked out on her hind legs and vacuumed. She used a real upright vacuum cleaner and she didn't miss a spot. She vacuumed under the table, the chairs, the sofa, stuff my cleaning lady never does. If that bear is a subscriber to this podcast, and I truly hope she is, honey, if you ever want to give up show business, you can clean my place twice a week. The question I always hear about North Korea was, how did you get in there? The question I got most in South Korea was, What are you doing here? The South Koreans seemed absolutely baffled that anyone would visit their country. It's the same question I got when Jennifer Aniston found me in her living room. What are you doing here? In that case, my answer was, If you didn't want intruders, why is your security code 1234? I'm just kidding. I don't know where Jennifer Aniston lives. This was Courtney Cox's living room. There are, in fact, many reasons to visit South Korea. They have better roads and faster internet than any other country. Their people are better educated than us, and they live longer than anyone. They will literally bury us all. Their long lives may be due to their perfect mix of hard work and joie de vivre. It's like they combine German industry and Italian joy. That's probably better than Italian industry and German joy. Am I right? I'm not right. You can't make those jokes anymore. I apologize. 
The cities are spotless and futuristic. I went to two indoor amusement parks built inside of skyscrapers, and they were both on the same block. I also visited the Hello Kitty Museum, three teddy bear museums, and the sculpture park of giant erotic art. Oh, they also have historic temples and villages, if you like that sort of thing. And outside the cities are mountains as spiky and green as pineapple tops. South Korea is where they made the movie Parasite and animate The Simpsons. They also gave us K-pop music, which is such a powerful cultural export, it's underwritten by the Korean government. They call it soft power. Why bomb your enemies when you can bombard them with boy bands? The food is delicious and healthy and cheap. The hat trick! Order any meal and it'll come with a dozen tiny side dishes, all free, all kimchi. This is South Korea's national dish. It's pickled cabbage served in 200 different ways. You may only know it from an old episode of MASH where a pot of kimchi stinks up the whole army base. In truth, kimchi does stink a little, but so do those last few seasons of MASH. Am I right? I'm not right, I can't make those jokes either. South Korea is probably my favorite Korea. It's definitely in the top two. It's got great sights, great food, great people. So why were they shocked to see me there? Because they don't need tourists. They've got a beautiful place and they want to keep it to themselves. Just like Courtney Cox's living room. That's a joke too. It was David Schwimmer. What Am I Doing Here is written and performed by Mike Reese and produced by Josh Perillo, featuring Denise Reese as herself. Additional voices by Michael Yushao and Trevor Morris, Mike's Funny Doorman.